0: Uh, Exodus 2, 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They cry, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And now as we sit under the teaching and preaching of your word, Father, we pray that it will be evident, Lord, that you are with us. And Lord, that you would utilize your word to change us, to inform us, to encourage us, and to empower us. But more than anything, that it will bend our hearts in worship towards you. We ask that you would do this now in Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, Bethel Gary, is listening an act of love? What does it mean to listen? See, listening is different than hearing, right? All the married people say, Amen. (laughs) Listening can be defined as the act of hearing attentively. When you listen to someone or something, that means you are interested in what is being said. It means that you, I dare say, that you care. It actually takes love for a person to listen well. Lisa Fields, a modern black woman apologist, coined listening as an act of love. She once posted this on IG. I love how God allows us to get our frustrations out about what he has allowed in our lives. Anybody ever been frustrated with God? If you don't, just keep looking at me. Bring our frustrations to him about what he allowed in our lives. I pray, and then she goes on to say, I pray we give the same permission to others when they bring their frustrations about the church to us. If God can listen to us, we can listen to them. I honestly think one of the biggest ways God shows his love to us is by listening to us. Because the reality is is that God really doesn't have to listen to us. And let's be honest, listening doesn't come easy for us, so we should be impressed that God takes time to listen to us. I spend most marriage counseling sessions teaching couples how to listen well. And it's not easy because because we are so selfish and self-righteous. But God listens well to his people because he cares. And at some point in this life, we will all come to this inevitable question. We will all arrive at this place. We will all get dropped off by the Uber driver or the Lyft driver. All of us at some point will come to this inevitable question when our faith intersects with our suffering. Does God even care? See, Maybe that didn't hit you because maybe you haven't been through nothing. But there's some things that, that, that will happen in your life that will rock your world, that, that, that will shake your faith to the core, that will cause you to ask this question, does God even care? Someplace in your life, you're going to grapple with that phrase. Does God even care? One day, you'll get out of your own situation, in your own circumstance, and you'll look out on the world, and you'll grapple with the injustice and the suffering that you see, and you'll ask the question in your own soul, Does God even care? This morning, I want to preach from this thought. The God that cares. The God that cares. Before we dive in, let's get a recap of our textflix. In fact, Chris said I should switch it from Netflix to textflix. So shout out to Chris, uh, textflix. Our show. If, if you've been with us, if you've been watching, you've been listening. We started uh, a Netflix series, a textflix series called Chosen Moses. Uh, why it's Chosen Moses? Because uh, it was it came from me. So there it is. Uh, it really ain't got no rhyme or reason. You know, it got a rhyme to it, but no reason to it. Uh, uh, but anyways, we've been going through this series, so for those of you who haven't been here, this is going to be a little catch-up for you. You know how they do on Netflix when you get ready to watch the show, they always give a little recap, so here it is. Previously on Chosen Moses. <laughs> that's how it started. That's how, that's how they do They say previously. They're like, previously on Chosen Moses. Exodus started with Israel, terrible situation in Egypt. They had become a mighty nation with Egypt. But were indentured slaves, mistreated in many horrific ways, including genocide against them. I mean, there's some serious, crazy stuff going on in Chosen Moses. Moses is born like, like any parent. They love him and seek to save his life because Pharaoh wants him dead. In fact, he wants all newborn boys dead. They make a basket for their little ball of love. It's true. After placing him in the Nile river amongst the reed with crocodiles, none other than Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Here's providence, folks, finds him and decides to keep him and adopt him as her own in an amazing providence. Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother. You got to go watch the last episode if you want the details of this. It's pretty awesome. But Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother to nurse and raise Moses to around age five. In fact, what I said last week is that Pharaoh uh, uh, pays child support to raise the child whom God is going to use to liberate his people. And we just laughed for a moment because we've seen how awesome and how wise God is. I wish I had a church this morning that knew the wisdom of God and the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. So Pharaoh pays. The mom brings him to the palace whereby Moses is adopted as the prince of Egypt. Yeah, he's a prince. Okay. He ended a recap. Okay, pastor. Tell us more. We've been waiting all week for the next episode. Don't you get in your feelings when you got to wait so long for the next episode? And here's the crazy part. Some of us, we don't even want to watch the show until all the episodes are out and then we just binge them the whole time. Well, ain't gonna be that. ain't going to be none of that here, all right? You're going to have to wait. So here it is. Let's go on into our next episode, Chosen Moses, episode four of season three, Moses' childhood. What was Moses' childhood like? I mean, how was it, you know? Well, another part of Scripture tells us this. It's like, this Is Us, the, the, the show on Hulu, that presents um, the, the, the past in the present. And it, it, that show continues to go back and forth. And here in the Bible, most of Moses' upbringing is actually found in the New Testament and not the Old Testament. The New Testament takes us back to the Old Testament to learn lessons. Acts 7, 21, it says, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the, of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. He got, a well, he got a good education. He got a good upbringing. He wasn't eating ramen noodles like the rest of us. I mean, he was eating gourmet meals. <laughs> he didn't know nothing about the struggle. Exodus doesn't tell us that. Stephen tells us that, that likely based on traditions retold over the centuries in Israel, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt. We sell the ancient shorts, particularly the Egyptians. Their libraries were extensive. They had their own writing language, hieroglyphics. It was the first emoji language. Y'all, we didn't come up with that. The Egyptians came up with it. And I'm certain they would have been Android users, by the way. Sorry, y'all, I'm on one today. One of the most difficult written languages ever created, the Egyptians. The writing lines, the tombs of, of pharaohs and other carvings, they had written moral code. They were very intellectual and accomplished people. Their math was precise that the pyramids are near, nearly perfect to square into the stars 3,000 years later. Your house builders weren't quite as precise as these folks. And your house won't be around for 3,000 years. It was there that a son of the world family would be educated and tutored by the finest of all of Egypt had to offer. Moses was highly educated and trained. This included matters of weaponry and warfare. This will explain the ease with which he kills an Egyptian and single-handedly fights off a posse of shepherds. Here in a moment, we will see this man was fit for UFC worthy. It is likely he was the general in Egypt. Another extra-biblical but ancient source is historian Josephus who says Moses led two successful military campaigns and conquered two cities. Moses was a bad boy. John Wick ain't got nothing on Moses. (laughs) Exodus 2.11 picks up Moses' story when he's around 40, which by itself should encourage anyone who's under 40 or entering 40. Season 3, episode 5, Moses the man. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and looked on their burdens. Can you see it, church? He grew up. He's grown now. He's educated. He has triceps. He has biceps. He has, he has all those things that, that I'm hoping Christian can give to me. <laughs> and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and now the story is about to turn. This is when you're in the episode, and it's getting hot and you don't want to leave, and now you got to use the bathroom. <laughs> but thank God you can pause it. He sees the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of, his, one of his people. He looked this way, and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sin. Uh, Moses murders a man, and he covers it up, and he's trying to figure out how to get away with murder, y'all. Why would Moses though? Is this is what gets me, he's 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 in a good place, he's in a comfortable place, he has the best education, he's doing well for himself, he's honored, he's feared, he knows how to fight, he's cool with Pharaoh. Well, why would Moses side with the Hebrew slave and risk his place in the Egyptian court by killing? This taskmaster. This action caused Moses now, this action caused Pharaoh now to see Moses as a traitor who needed to be killed, to be dealt with. Hebrews 11 verses 24 through 26 tells us why Moses did this. Here it is. Lean in on this. You do not want to miss this. By faith. By faith. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses' intentions were right when he went out to help his suffering Hebrew people. He had given up position. He had given up pleasure. He had given up prosperity to take his stand with God's people. Friends, it costs to stand with the marginalized in the suffering. Friends, Facebook, YouTube, it costs to stand with the marginalized in the suffering. Oh, it's cute to watch it and to give money to it. But, 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 but one day God's going to call you to give your life to his mission and work. In this world, it costs to stand for justice. Folks may not like you. Folks may want to talk about you. It's not like Moses had a court that would render justice to any Hebrew person. I imagine he felt like Fannie Lou, sick and tired of being sick and tired of seeing his folks sick and tired. Moses saw and felt the pain of his people. I need y'all to get this. It is clear, folks. That Moses cares about his people. No, I'm not talking about flippant care. I'm not talking about all those poor slaves, all those poor homeless people. Let's write them a check. Let's bring them a sandwich. No, have you ever felt like you were attached to some folks I'm talking about attached to them in a way that you couldn't sleep at night, in a way that you felt it in your heart, okay? That's not helping you. One day, my daughter, you I'm going to let y'all into my business only because it's helpful. Don't judge me. One day, my daughter, y'all, my teenage daughter, she got upset with me and her mama, and she called herself running away. She leaves the house. She's gone. And my wife looks over at me, and she says, you know, I'm not going to be able to sleep until I know where my baby is. Now, here's the crazy part. Paige wasn't lost. Kyla was lost. But because Kyla was lost, and Kyla is attached to her mama, and so, and so 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 cause because Kyla was lost. Paige felt as if she was lost. Paige couldn't get any sleep. Y'all, that's called real love. When when, when, when when you feel what the other person is feeling, I love the way one preacher puts it. He says, you know what? One day I slammed my hand in the door. He said he slammed it in the door. I don't know if you ever slammed your hand in the door. It is no joke. He said, I slammed my hand in the door. But when I slammed my hand in the door, my entire body began to respond because my hand got hit. Although my foot didn't get hit, my knee didn't get hit, but because my hand got hit, the rest- of the body responded and you got to ask why did the rest of the body respond well the rest of the body responded because the rest of the body is attached to the hand and he says you can know who's attached to you how they respond to your pain and your situation so church how do you respond to people pain no no how do you respond to people's situation? Do you sleep at ease knowing the pain around you? Here's one of the issues with the racial thing, right? We ought to be able to enter into each other's pain and to feel what one another feels because because when that happens, right, that's the power of the church. And we're showing people that because we all in Jesus Right. That this is not just a theological, theological, theoretical concept, but this is something that we feel down in our souls that those who don't look like me are a part of me because we serve the same father and the same spirit. Have you ever felt attached to the church? Have you ever noticed? That when we decide, though, to take matters into our own hands, it typically doesn't go well. Moses is feeling some kind of way, and Moses goes ahead of God's will. At least some theologians argue this. is about to get a rude awakening. He sees injustice, and he says, I got to do something about this. But other theologians say that he didn't act outside of God's will time. I'll leave that to you to decide. Because, or is it God's will that before he uses a man or a woman, he must crush that man a woman? Did God need to deal with some pride in Moses before he would raise up Moses as a vessel of deliverance? Did God allow this to happen to get Moses ready for what he had in mind? When you go up against the system of injustice, you are likely to be downgraded before upgraded. All right, up. Let me say that again because that may have zoomed past some of y'all. When you go up against the system of injustice, you are likely to be downgraded than upgraded. All right. Moses went from a prince in the palace of Egypt, y'all, eating gourmet meals to eating ramen noodles. Them noodles cheap, too. I wish gas was the price of ramen noodles, y'all. Amen, <laughs> hey somebody. i like, hold on, I just need to stop right here. They ain't got nothing to do with something. I just talked to talk to y'all. $4 a gallon? Never mind. Let me keep going. Moses is like, I can't afford this gas, Pharaoh. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it together. Y'all with me? Y'all feel me. My bad, my bad, Christian. That gas was high last night. (laughs) Moses went from a prince in the palace of Egypt. Moses became a shepherd in the barren wilderness. From being in the limelight of Pharaoh's government, Moses went into isolation and obscurity. From being a somebody, he instantly became a nobody. Man, life will change on you in a minute. Be careful thinking too much about yourself. You think you're standing on some things, but those things are, are fragile. The text does not tell us what he felt, but he must have battled depression and confusion. I don't know if you ever downgraded before, but sometimes on your way down, you go down into depression. Because, because in that, you start dealing with identity issues. I remember when I lost my job and I was moving up the ladder and I didn't have that no more. That's all I knew was banking and, and I didn't have banking anymore. And so I remember being in a dark room, balled up in my bed, going through a night. Can we be honest this morning? Christians go through some things too. <laughs> identity issues. Who am I? Do I have Purpose. And my love, will I ever get out of this? Will this ever change? And y'all, Moses is going to stay in this not 10 years, not 20 years, not 30 years, but 40 years. God, what are you doing? I mean, okay, come on, come on. God, I can go without the job for a year. Four decades? Somebody emailed God. He's clearly busy. D.L. Moody said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. And he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Oh, that's good right there. You ought to celebrate right there. That's worth celebrating. Because we're getting ready to see, can God use a nobody? Can God pick up a nobody? Can God walk with a nobody? Y'all got to come on to episode six because we got to find out. So episode six, it's titled Baby from Now to Exile. Yeah, I don't know if y'all caught the rhyming there. I worked hard on that rhyming, now, exile, whatever. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? You ever have somebody talk crazy to you? You trying to help them out, and they like, who you think you is? That's how they say, who you think you is? He says, he says uh, uh, who made you the prince and judge over us? In other words, let me translate, you ain't my daddy. Some of y'all have said that before. You ain't my mama. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh Uh-oh. Word got out. You ever thought you got away with something? And you find out that you didn't get away with it? And you start to sweat? Because you're like, oh, my goodness. They actually seen me. I thought I was swift with it. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Come here, Pharaoh. I need to dismantle you really fast. It was naive of Moses first to think that the Hebrews that he had saved by killing the Egyptian wouldn't tell anyone. Word quickly spread through Egypt. By the next day, it was commonly known. Why would Pharaoh seek to kill Moses because of this? One commentator gets it right when he says, This indicates where Moses' true heart and allegiance was. Not as an Egyptian, but as a Jew. If Moses had held as a great military leader who was now siding with the slaves, this was Moses' I'm Spartacus moment. He was a threat that fed Pharaoh's fear of uprising against the Jews, which we found out in season one. When he was doing genocide and killing all the little boys. Remember, when when people are a threat to your power, you must deal with them. You must contain them. You must oppress them. You must keep them subjugated in a way that they will serve your power. And if you can't serve my power, then I will kill you. And that we see how power corrupts the human by making us murderers concluding thoughts like people are not fully human. Uh, somewhere I read that. Well, we start, we start, we start binding, as, as, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, binding to the myth of inferior people. And we start doing crazy stuff. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he stayed in a faraway land. Moses Got ghosts, y'all. He got got little. And where did he go? He went to Midian and was east. He went way east. Midian was far enough away that Moses could hide in obscurity. Midian was in a desert. One of the striking features of the landscape in southern Egypt is how completely barren it is. Very little Vegetation. Moses goes from the palace along the now to the earth's most barren place. What's valuable there? Let's read on. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And it's about to get real romantic, y'all. Here it is. He had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Raul, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered (laughs) us. I told y'all Moses was, he was cut y'all now. See, y'all just be reading the Bible. I just be like, come on, let's just be human. They said, Daddy, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of of the shepherds. You know them butterflies you get in your stomach. (laughs) No, Daddy, you got to see them now. And and watch this, in he drew water. Daddy, he not afraid to work, Daddy. For us, and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? His daddy like, hold on. Man, he got good qualifications. What are you doing? Hold on. Where that brother at? Where Mo at? Whoa, Moe, is what they say. Oh, man. He's like, hey, where that brother at? Called, you can leave it. You can leave it. I'm just going to keep knocking it down. He called, <laughs> he called you clean too, brother. Uh, he called him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. I'm sure he was. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zeborah. She gave birth to a son. That was quick. And he called his name Garrison. For he said, I told y'all. I have been in, look look at this, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Don't tell me that's the hand of God, Moses said. While he's not the prince of Egypt anymore, he is still Moses from a family that take care of business. He does the same at the well, earning the admiration of seven daughters. In the ancient world, nothing made a man more husband material than someone who can do jiu-jitsu moves on shepherds. If there was a dating app during that time, I believe it would be called the well, for real, because a whole lot, of, <laughs> whole lot of people hooked up in the well in the biblical day. I don't know, what about the well? Go look through Genesis, everybody found them somebody at the well. <laughs> they go to the well, it is well with my soul before they leave. <laughs> the Lord has come home to rule their father. Note this is a little confusing because later his name is Jethro. Why two names? We don't know. But they came back to Dad talking about this brave Egyptian. Jethro wants to show proper Middle Eastern hospitality for his kind deed and possibly to marry off a daughter. Now, here's where we see, again, women being treated as property rather than human, although that was like their condition or whatever. And sometimes the Bible can be be descriptive and not prescriptive, all right? We need to know that. Dads of daughters are always on the lookout. Moses not only eats dinner with him, but agrees to live with his family. Let me see, a meal, a wife. Yeah, I'll move in with you. (laughs) Moses married one daughter. They had a son, as we saw. Moses, the hero of Israel, marries a Mennonite woman. The Mennonites are descendants of Abraham as well through his wife. Zipporah was Moses' distant cousin. Moses settled down as a family man, a shepherd, and a man with a complicated, tortured past. His past is buried, but I'm sure hunting him every day. At this point, he hardly looks like a hero at this point. We end season three, episode six, with Moses on the run and forming a new identity. He has deleted all his social media accounts. He doesn't want to be discovered. You can't find him on IG, you can't find him on the book, and you can't find him on TikTok. He has cut up all of his credit cards and debit cards. He doesn't want to be traced. He only uses cash. This is how we end episode six. One must ask, in this situation, what is God doing with all of this? One must wonder what God is doing with this runaway Hebrew man, Moses. One must ask at the end of season six, Where is God in all of this? Moses will be in this runaway-slash-hiding place for 40 years. And come back next week for our textflix show, Chosen Moses, season four, when we find out exactly what God is going to do with Chosen Moses. But let me draw a few applications here. As you know, This will be our preaching method. We will read the story, then say, how does this apply to me or us? Or we might say, this is what I would do if I was Jabez. This is what I would do if I was Moses. This is what I would do if I was Pharaoh. And of course, nobody won't be Pharaoh. This is what I would do if I was the Egyptian slave. I mean, the the Hebrew slave. I really want us to get in the text because, because the real text flicks is our own lives. It's our own Monday mornings. It's our own Tuesday. It is when we, when we cross paths with our coworkers. It is in our marriage. It is in our church. And God, what are you trying to say to us through Chosen Moses? And friends, what can we post on social media about season three? Here, I'll give it to you. Faith is sometimes a call to an earthly downgrade. Sometimes faith will call you to an earthly downgrade than an earthly upgrade. Listen, I know we hear often that faith will unlock the door on earthly gain, but sometimes faith will unlock the door on earthly downgrade. I know it's hard for you to say amen. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Moses' choice to turn from the position he enjoyed at Pharaoh's adopted grandson and from the pleasures and prosperity he enjoyed in Egyptian palace was a commendable and courageous choice. How many of us in the room are willingly downgraded? Because we know in our American society, it's about climbing up the ladder, not moving down the ladder. This is Christianity, isn't it? Christianity is always turning things upside down. Christianity is always going against the grain. Christianity is always calling us to be more uncomfortable. And I suppose that someone could have criticized him. You know how we do. Uh, hey, y'all, I think I'm, you know, I'm thinking about leave. I'm, I, 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 you know, I just want to make this real, real, real conversation. Right? Uh, y'all yeah, know. I'm thinking about uh, stepping down as the prince of Egypt. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go out into the desert. What y'all think about that? I think God told me to go to the desert. You don't really get prophecies about that. You get prophecies like God is calling you to higher heights. Uh, God is going to give you a big house. I see great things in your life. You don't hear people saying, uh, uh, God getting raised in you into a desert. <laughs> Cursed you. <laughs> you know, you ain't from God, right? But here's Moses. Can you imagine Moses trying to get counseling for this? What would be said to him, Steve? Arguing that, if he had stayed in the palace of power and influence, he could have helped the Israelites. But Hebrews eleven twenty four tells us that he made the choice by faith in spite of the hardship. In spite of the hardship, Moses is not unaware of the hardship before him. But there's something about faith that causes you to take hold of the hardship because what faith says, it doesn't matter how hard it is, if God is walking with me, if God goes with me, doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter the circumstance because faith says that God is bigger and stronger and more than my situation. This is what Moses sees when he looks through the eyes of faith. But I think what God had to do to get out of Moses was dependency on himself. Here's the upgrade Moses, from an earthly sense, is downgrading, but from a spiritual sense, he is upgrading. And God is getting ready to upgrade Moses by not. Pushing him into independency, but pushing him into dependency. And the more we depend on God, the more spiritually upgraded we have become. Because Christianity is not about you being big and strong. But Christianity is about you coming to the conclusion that, baby, you can't do nothing apart from God. I wish I had some branches in the room that knew their dependency on the vine. And sometimes God will put you in the desert where there ain't no water, there ain't no paths, So that all you can do is call on the God of the universe that we sang it earlier, didn't we? That he makes a way out of no way. You were just singing just to be singing. He moved mountains and he causes walls to fall. (laughs) Moses, I got to take you out of comfort so you can enter into this place of dependency. So I think when Moses killed the Egyptian, he was taking matters into his own hands. Sort of like Peter when he cut off the your ear. Y'all remember Peter? Conceal and carry Peter. (laughs) See, I got to help y'all out. Righteous anger, Peter. But it wasn't abounding in wisdom. Peter, Jesus is saying to Peter in that moment, Peter, I don't need you to save me. But I need you... Point to the one that saves you. Moses, I don't need you to be the Savior, but I need you to point to the Savior. And see, we don't point to the Savior until we first realize that we need a Savior. Now, we can say that with our mouth, but not often say that with our feet and our hands. And so, Moses, before I use you, I'm gonna have to crush you. See, God crushes a person before he uses a person. Moses fed to the land of Median, which was either on the far side of the Sinai Peninsula or perhaps across the Red Sea on the western side of Arabia. It was a barren wasteland. Contrast must have been jarring from having every convenience and luxury in Pharaoh. So can you imagine like what he has to do? go through, like even physically. I mean, even in his mindset to to be able to snap his fingers and to have something and not be able to do that. Like that is hard. That Stuff like that jars your faith. He had servants waiting on his every desire. Moses is now understanding what it is to be an Israelite. Moses was now on his own out in the boondocks from being surrounded by all the important, educated, influential people in Egypt, and now his only company was a shepherd family. After earning his Ph.D. in Egypt, most prestigious university, as one writer puts, now his job was to watch a flock of sheep that didn't even belong to him. I need y'all to understand this condition. Here, y'all going to miss it. After he helped defend Ruth's seven daughters against the aggressive shepherd, one writer says, he settled down to live there, eventually marrying one of his daughters. Moses' 40 years in the wilderness were better schooling than his education and all the learning of the Egyptians. Can't nobody teach you like God can. He had a lot of time alone to spend with God between his family and his shepherding duties. God used those years to do what in Moses? to develop a servant heart in Moses. It prepared him for the next 40 years to lead God's people in the same desert. Look at God's providence and wisdom here. Failure opens our heart to our need to learn from God how to overcome the next time. But not only is God preparing Moses for season four of Textflix. But God is listening to his people. I told y'all in the beginning, God cares. And we know God cares because God listens. Because as the story shifts to Moses, we may have forgotten about the Israelites who are still in slavery. Maybe Moses thought it too. God, I thought you brought me into the world to save my people. I thought you brought me into the world to deliver my people. And now, after 40 years in the desert, maybe that dream and that desire is fading away. Maybe the people of Israel are doubting their God. Maybe the people of Israel is saying, maybe God forgot about us. Maybe God doesn't really care about us. This is what we need to get today because God actually does care for the people of Israel. God has not forgotten about them. And church, this is where I need you to lean in because no matter what situation that you're going through, no matter what you face on Monday morning, if Monday morning tells you that God doesn't care, I want you to look Monday morning in the face and say, Monday morning, you are a liar. Because this is what Cultivates a desire to pray for us when we truly believe that God cares. But God needs Moses and the people of Israel to understand something. When we try to deliver ourselves, nothing. But when God does it, that's only one word, wow. Moses did what his power could. Y'all remember, he protected how many Hebrew slaves? One. One. He exacted justice on one Egyptian slave master. When God does it, God's going to free not one slave, but two million slaves. Hebrews and Pharaoh, entire army is going to be wiped out when God is done. God freed Moses for himself by humbling him. Do you see the difference in scale between what happens when we do it and when God does it? The hard question is one of dependency and seeking God's face in favor. Nowhere is more evident than what happens when God people Pray. Prayer is evidence that our confidence has shifted from ourselves and our circumstance and our money and our education and whatever else you are building your confidence on. When we pray, we say, God, forget those things. We need you to act. We need you to move. When God says, when God delivers. It is a complete deliverance. Right. And this is what we see in the cross, friends. Uh, we see the care of God. We see the power of God in his ability to deliver us, not just a little bit, but the way that Jesus says, Whom the Son sets free. Is free right. Whom the Son sets free. Not may be free, not might be free, not you may get out, not God did his part, you do your part. No, when God sets you free, can't no devil in hell bind you ever again, because when God delivers, he sets free for good. And that's why Jesus said, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. God cares, friends. The verse says this, for the closing analysis. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. He gone. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God Watch this, church. God heard their groaning. And that's such a precious phrase right there. That makes my soul happy. God heard their groans. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew Pharaoh, who wanted to kill Moses, died. What didn't die was Israel's terrible slavery. Notice the, agony, the, 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 the the language the Bible used. They groaned and they cried. And it doesn't say they prayed. It says they groaned and they cried. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you couldn't get a prayer up, you couldn't even lob one up. All you can do is groan and cry. And often our most heartfelt prayers are what? Groans and cries. You ever prayed that way? Notice that their groans and cries actually went somewhere. They came up to God and God heard their groaning. Three things to remember about prayer God always hears, but question, are you always praying? God always remembers his promises, but question, Do you always remember the promises of God? God sees and knows the detail of our lives. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He saw, he knew. What? He knew everything. We have never informed God of anything. I say that sometimes in my prayers. God, I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. He knows and sees all of it. Our prayers are not information for God. They are confirmation to God that our trust and our sorrows is in him. Friends, prayer is much more about relationship and trust and talking with our Heavenly Father. God cares about you, church. And if you ever doubt it, you can look at the cross. One of my friends on Facebook said this about God this week. What a mighty... What an awesome, well-intended, compassionate, forgiving, bountiful, masterful, nurturing, protecting, providing, redeeming, powerful, limitless, waymaking, healing, sustaining, unparalleled, unchanging, uncomparable God that God is. And we asked you earlier to write your prayers, and earlier in this service, and the reason why we ask you to write those prayers is because we believe that God actually hears our prayers. And we believe that God hears our prayers because we believe that God cares about his people.